We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. The fact that Paul describes this battle for sanctification in such violent terms may come as a surprise to some believers who naively think that the Christian life ought to be one victorious triumph after another without any struggles whatsoever, or that we can achieve with with enough spiritual growth, a state of spiritual maturity that we are no longer bothered anymore by such fleshly desires as Paul mentions that we should just be able to reach a point of sanctification where we can live above all kinds of temptations. From Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, this is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Thanks for joining our class today. Pastor Steve will be bringing the first of a two-part study on conflicts between the flesh and the spirit from Galatians chapter 5 as he continues his series of messages on our freedom in Christ. Our topic today is the struggle within. Here now is Pastor Steve. Let's open our Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to read to you the last section of this chapter. We won't be able to cover it all today, but this is one unit of thought. Beginning in verse 16, Paul writes, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And this morning, we've come in our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians to this particular passage of Scripture, which is without doubt one of the most important and relevant passages found anywhere in the Bible. And the reason that this is so important and such a relevant passage is because it tells us how to overcome sin in our lives. Surprisingly, though, it is also one of the most violent passages in all the Word of God because it reveals that victory over sin does not come without a battle, without a struggle. See, in these verses, we find Paul explaining the intense struggle and warfare that every believer in Christ is engaged in 
in seeking to subdue his or her fleshly desires. Notice how Paul describes this conflict. He describes it as an ongoing fight between two opponents, our flesh and the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Look at verse 17 again. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul even describes some of of the very specific and intense battles we face. He names certain fleshly desires, not all of them, but some of them. And then he names some of the virtues that the Spirit of God produces and desires to produce in us, not all of them, but some. Listen, this is such a fierce struggle that in verse 24, Paul says that in order to overcome these fleshly desires, we have to recognize that our flesh has already been crucified. Notice verse 24, but those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The implication of this verse is that we have to make sure that the flesh stays crucified. The implication is make sure it never comes down from the cross. In other words, we have to keep snuffing out its life. We have to keep mortifying the deeds of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Now, the fact that that Paul describes this battle for sanctification in such violent terms may come as a surprise to some believers who naively think that the Christian life ought to be one victorious triumph after another without any struggles whatsoever, or that we can achieve with, with enough spiritual growth a state of spiritual maturity that we are no longer bothered anymore by such fleshly desires as Paul mentions. That we should just be able to reach a point of sanctification where we can live above all kinds of temptations. I can recall thinking as a brand new Christian like that, I thought that now that I had come to know Jesus as my Savior, that life was just going to be a breeze from this point on. It never occurred to me when I was first converted that there would be any battles in my new life in Christ. I I just assumed that believing in Jesus would eliminate all of my struggles, but that was not the case, not at all. It wasn't very long into my Christian walk that I became keenly aware of an intense battle raging within me. Unlike my pre-conversion days when I had no problem sinning, I just had a sin nature, and that was it. I just obeyed that. Now, with a new nature, I was conflicted. I had struggles. This new nature meant, as the Holy Spirit worked in my life, that I now had desires for the first time to obey God, to live a holy life, but I also had these sinful desires pulling me in the direction of disobedience. And when I gave into these sinful desires, I felt so utterly defeated by my flesh that there were times I thought I must not even be saved. How, how could a saved person think like this, do such a thing? And not, not just once, but many times. And you know what, since then, I have discovered that there are many Christians who are bothered with these same doubts of their salvation because of of all the battles and all the sinful behavior behaviors and attitudes in them wondering just how could they possibly be saved if they still have so much sin tugging at their hearts one christian man who thought like this 
and had doubts about his salvation was Martin Luther, the German reformer. According to one writer, and I quote, in spite of all of Luther, Luther's attempts to live a godly life, there were times when he was tempted to sin, and not just tempted. There were times when Luther committed very fleshly sins, and this made him worry that he was really not a Christian. But you know what? Martin Luther was helped in this area of assurance, as well as the struggle of his sinful flesh. Why? Because he came across the verse that we're going to be studying this morning, Galatians 5.17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. In seeing this verse, Luther realized that the inner spiritual conflict he was having was really quite normal, that, that every Christian had this. In, in his commentary on Galatians, Luther said that, that he used this verse to actually preach a message to himself. You know what that message was? It was very brief, but here's what it was. The message was this, Martin, you will never be completely without sin because you still have the flesh. Therefore, you will always be aware of its conflict. According to the statement of Paul, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Do not despair, therefore, but fight back and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, as we come to this passage in Galatians 5, we want to learn, as Martin Luther did, how to fight back. How to fight back so that we don't give in to the temptations to gratify the desires of the flesh. However, before we can do this, we need to really step back and ask an important question. Why is Paul even writing about this battle between the flesh and the spirit here in Galatians 5? Where where does this fit in? How does such a battle even fit in a letter that is centered around the subject of justification by faith in Christ? Why now, Paul, are you even dealing with this? Where did this come from? Well, as you'll recall from our study, starting in verse 13, the apostle begins to deal with something that he has really not touched upon at all in his letter to the Galatians. He he begins to tell them the practical aspects of what it means to be free from under the bondage of the law. Notice verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Having already addressed, and I might add in great depth, theologically, the truth that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ, Paul is now ready to answer the charge made against him by the Judaizers that his message of grace will only result in the Galatians falling back into their pagan lifestyle of sin and debauchery. To the Judaizers said, Paul, if you remove from people the obligation of observing the law for salvation, then you're going to give them a license to sin. Because they said, Paul, without the restraints of the law, they're going to use their freedom to indulge in all kinds of vices. In other words, the Judaizers felt that the only thing that, that holds everyone's sinful passions in check are all those Old Testament laws that that regulated every single area of life, regulated and governed them. And therefore, to tell people that that we're free from being under the law, they said, Paul, what you're doing is you're giving them a green light to unleash all those sinful passions. You need the law to restrain sin. Paul's response to this accusation is that you're wrong. 
you're wrong. What you're saying is not true. And that's why he proceeds in verses 13 to 15 to make the point that those who are justified by grace and free from being under the tyranny of the law do not lead a life of sinful indulgence. On the contrary, Paul teaches in these verses that those who have been set free from the law, from try- and what he means by that, free from trying to be justified by the law, are now free for the first time to behave in a manner that honors and pleases the Lord. And Paul spells out four ways in which believers should and now could express their freedom in Christ. In verse 13, he says that those who are free in Christ need to use their freedom to say no to their sinful desires. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. In verse 13, the second part, he says, secondly, that those who have been set free are to use their freedom now to serve others in love. He said at the end of verse 13, but through love serve one another. That's another form of slavery, but it's a good slavery. It's a slavery in which we enslave ourselves to serve others out of love. In verse 14, he expands on this by saying that those who have been set free are to fulfill the law by loving others as they love themselves. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is the summation of the entire moral law of God, which is written in the Ten Commandments, that love, if you love others, you won't sin against them. If you love God, you won't sin against him. If you love others, you won't sin against them. So love others. That's the summation of the law. Do that and you fulfilled the law. And then fourth, Paul says that those who have been set free are not to use their freedom to harm other people. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Now, this is where we left off last week with Paul telling us that freedom from being under the law does not lead to a life of flagrant sin. Instead, he teaches that it leads to a holy life, loving other people, not attacking those who disagree with us. But here's the critical question we need to ask. How can we live like this? How can we live like this? How is all this godly behavior possible when we have so many fleshly desires still residing in us, desires to indulge the flesh, desires to be self-centered and not be loving, desires to attack anyone who, who dares to see things differently than we do. Paul's answer is simply the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, not the law, the Spirit. See, from verse 16 until the close of this chapter in verse 26, Paul mentions the Spirit seven times. And by spirit, he is referring not to our human spirit, that immaterial part of us, and we might say our spirit, but no, he is referring to God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the one who indwells every true believer in Jesus Christ. And the reason Paul emphasizes the Holy Spirit in these verses is because the Spirit is the one who sanctifies us, the one who enables us to live righteous lives. He's the one who empowers us to subdue the desires of the flesh within us, and it's not legalistic rules. That's why legalism never works, whether it's Old Testament Judaistic legalism or Christian, so-called Christian legalism. It never works. You might put a lid on your sin temporarily, but it's not really empowering you to live a godly life. You see, the law doesn't have the power to produce righteousness in our lives. It's not its purpose. It doesn't do that. It can only show us that we are not righteous. It can't make us righteous. 
but the Holy Spirit can, and the Holy Spirit does. He's the one who sanctifies and produces righteousness that the law speaks of. This is precisely what Paul was talking about when in Romans chapter 8, he said this, notice verses 3 and 4, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirements of the law, meaning righteousness, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's a powerful verse. Now, the Judaizers did not get this. They did not understand this. But Paul's concern, frankly, at this point is really not the Judaizers. It's his beloved Galatians. It's believers. The apostle wants them and and all true Christians to understand that as believers in Christ, we desire to obey God, and we have the power to obey him, but not because of any Old Testament laws, but because of the indwelling spirit who produces these godly desires within us and empowers us to obey God out of the right motivation of love. But Paul also wants us to understand that obedience does not come without a battle. It's a struggle. Because while it's true that the Holy Spirit indwells us, it is also true that we still have indwelling sin. And that indwelling sin longs to be gratified. So Paul's whole point in these verses is to teach the Galatians and each of us how to say no to this indwelling sin so that we do not gratify the flesh, but live victorious lives that now honor Christ. Therefore, these verses, folks, before us are incredibly important for us to learn and understand because they explain to us how to live holy lives and overcome those sins which seem to have a grip on us most of the time. Anger, lustful thoughts, jealousies, envyings, malice, holding a grudge, and things like that. Those are the kinds of struggles that all of us have, regardless of how many years you've known Christ as Savior, regardless of of how mature you are in the Lord, regardless of how the Lord might have used you in the past. Now, the way Paul teaches us about sanctification, and sanctification is just another word, essentially meaning spiritual growth and godly living. How Paul teaches us, the way he does teach us about sanctification is that he gives us in this passage three key truths that help us, enable us to have victory over sin. Now, as I said, it's going to take a few weeks to go through this, but there are three basic key truths that Paul teaches here. If you apply these truths to your life, you will overcome fleshly and sinful desires. Now, let me balance this. It is unrealistic to say that those desires of the flesh will ever be completely eliminated during our lifetime. But it is very realistic to say that they can be greatly reduced and diminished right now. Whoever you are, if you're a Christian right now, if you will just embrace and apply and practice these truths that Paul teaches about sanctification. So let's get into our text. I want us to see this morning the first of these key truths about sanctification, and it's this. In order to overcome sin, we must, number one, walk by the Spirit. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, having just stated 
in the previous verse that the Galatians were biting and devouring one another like, like savage animals by being antagonistic and factious towards those in the church who disagreed with them. And I assume what Paul means by that is that you had the legalists and those who did indulge in the flesh and called it license, called it their liberty. You had these people warring at each other. Paul now tells them how to put a stop to all that, how to put a stop to this divisive in-house fighting. He tells them the way to do this is by walking by the Spirit. And in doing this, he says, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, which obviously includes, but is not limited to their biting and devouring of each other. Now, let's try to think through what Paul is saying here so that we can understand exactly what he's talking about, and then we can apply it to our lives. You can't apply it if you don't know what he's saying. Therefore, the first thing we need to recognize is that Paul defines sanctification as something, note this, that is progressive. Progressive. It's not instantaneous. See, Paul begins by using the term walk as, as in walk by the Spirit. He uses it as a metaphor for daily living. You could very easily translate this statement, live by the Spirit. But walk is a very appropriate metaphor because walking speaks of making progress. It speaks of, of forward movement. And that's precisely how we grow spiritually. See, perfection is not something that happens the moment you're converted. In fact, it doesn't happen at any one point in your Christian life. There are no sudden experiences in your life which will immediately turn you into into a perfectly holy individual. No spiritual growth works like that. No biblical teaching is that. It's not that way. Spiritual growth doesn't work that way. It is a step-by-step walk as we move forward and we make progress. In fact, Paul makes this abundantly clear here in this verse, because although it's translated in most of our English Bibles as walk in the Spirit, in the Greek language, the thought is keep on walking, because we are to continuously walk or live by the Spirit. It's continuous action and movement. And and that brings us to the second important point that Paul makes about sanctification. He says that we are to keep walking by or in the Spirit. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, the moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about for salvation, you turned from your sin, you trusted Christ as the only way to heaven, trusted him to be your Savior. At that moment, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. Now, whether you felt his presence or not is irrelevant. God says that he began to dwell in you by the Holy Spirit at your conversion. Romans 8 and 9 says this, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Paul says all believers have the spirit of Christ. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen, we read, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. So at salvation, the Spirit came to indwell us. But notice this, that is something that he does to us. It's not something that we need to do in relation to him. In other words, the indwelling of the Spirit is something that is done to us by God. It's not something that we are commanded to do. It just happens because he does it. However, what Paul is saying here in Galatians 5.16 is a command. 
It is a definite responsibility that we have. It's something that Paul is telling us under the inspiration of God to do. And what Paul is telling us to do, if we want to have victory over our sinful desires, is that we are to walk or live daily in the realm of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, we are to make sure that we are in submission to the Holy Spirit moment by moment, note this, by filling our minds with his thoughts. Now, this is not some mystical, subjective experience that's open to only a few elite Christians who can figure it out. No, to walk in the Spirit, watch this, is to place ourselves under his influence. And we do this by simply filling our minds with his thoughts, with a willingness to obey those thoughts. In other words, to walk by the Spirit is to think about the things of the Spirit with a hard attitude of obedience to the Word of God. Because the Bible reveals the words and thoughts of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Steve will complete this study on our next verse by verse. If you would like to listen to this class again, go to our website, versebyverseradio.org, and click on the message archive tab. You may also order a CD with both parts of this study by calling Verse by Verse at 727 239 0306. That website again is Verse by Verse Radio, all one word, dot org. And our phone number is 727 239 0306. 